Hello, my name is Anna, and if you're into scary stories and creepy real-life happenings, then I think you will love my podcast. Let me tell you a scary story. Join me every week as I read to you stories of the paranormal that actually happen to ordinary people. These are things that can't be explained and don't always make much sense, and they are sure to intrigue and to give you the shivers. So join me on your favourite podcast listening platform and let me tell you a scary story. State of Fear podcast, episode number 39. Welcome back, y'all. So glad to have y'all with us. I'm your host, Chris Davila. Join me from far away, but not too far, is my good buddy, James Bishop. What's up, James? What do you say, Chris? How you doing, my brother? Doing better, man. I was under the weather for a few days. We uh, we had to kind of uh, postpone a couple of times, but uh, I'm feeling better, feeling good, ready to get into this fantastic topic we have going on tonight. Hey, man, your health is more important, man. We do this for free. That's right. We love it. But, yeah, you needed to get better. I was just glad it wasn't this COVID crap. Hell, yeah. Uh, and, but it, and it's a lot of fun to be back doing this. And like I said, I'll be back in the studio probably sometime after Christmas. We're just giving a little bit of time. Yeah. Let all this malarkey pass, and we're going right. to get down and do some really cool stuff next year. Yeah. I'm I looking forward to it. New year, new stuff. Can't wait, man. Can't wait. Yes, sir. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so tonight we are covering the state of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. PA, Pennsylvania. And stay tuned <laughs> at the end of the episode because we have a very special personal encounter from our friend Emily, a uh, friend of the show over at Drink Drunk Dead. She was kind enough to send us a personal encounter. And so be sure yes, to check it out. She is a, an extraordinarily cool gal. She I is. can't wait to hear her story myself. Yeah. And fellow lover of all things paranormal. So I'm excited Indeed. to hear yes. what her story is. But before we get into all that, fun stuff let's get into some ridiculous stuff shall we let's cover a couple of uh, Of weird state facts for this old pennsylvania huh sure thing why don't you kick it off all right i sure will known as the keystone state during colonial times pennsylvania was the middle colony of the original 13 colonies the other there are six states above it and there were six below it it held the colonies together like the keystone in a window or door arc interesting so so do the keystone cops cops hold other cops (laughs) together in that way is that what that is 
Yeah, I think the Keystone cops are the ones counting the votes in that state, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> so is that, that, does that mean Keystone Light is like the, the one that holds all the other beers together? Because Keystone Light's pretty gross. Yeah, I was going to say, Keystone <laughs> beer sucks. <laughs> it does. I, I hate to say that, but yeah. Yeah, it's I'm bad. Not, I'll just stick with good old Bud Light. <laughs> uh, one weird Pennsylvania law forbids the singing in the bathtub. And another forbids the sweeping of dirt underneath a rug. <laughs> I'd, I'd be going to jail, man. Oh, yeah. Everybody, I would for sure. That's for damn sure. Hey, when when the house is empty, man, I'm a crooning son of a bitch in the shower. Yeah, nobody's going to hear you. Who cares? Let it out. Hell no. That's right. Hell no. Hell no. Especially the new Brian Johnson, the new ACDC, man. Aw, damn. He sounds good. He does for his age. He does. Yes, he does. All right, but what you got next? The oldest gas station in the U.S. is located in Altoona. Reichardt's has been in continuous operation since 1909, and it's not a name brand. I love that. Yeah. Making it America's oldest gas station. Reichardt's has been featured in the Journal of Commercial Archaeology and American Heritage Magazine. That is very cool. I like that. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's like a a mom and pop place, but yeah, it's been there forever. Yep. It's awesome. Now, you know, it may be a more, it may be a, a chain, just may not be a chain we know out here, you know? Like, that uh, is possible. Yeah, but. That, you know, it's true. Yeah, but. Sounds to, sounds to me, sounds to me like it's a gas station, tire center, haircut place, post office. Dental office. Gro- and grocery store all and thrown in one, you know, the, you know, them kinds of places. Yeah, well, it's definitely, it's definitely not a Chevron or a Shell or something that we know all over the country. Yeah, for sure. Hell no. Yeah. so my next uh fact is actually it's not long but it's longer than normal because um something i found that i was going to use as topic for the story but it was super super short but i had to include it as a fact and it, it so happened that a pennsylvania man one time tried to sue satan for ruining his life so according to the suit He said, Satan on numerous occasions has caused plaintiff misery and unwarranted threats against the will of plaintiff. That Satan has placed deliberate obstacles in his path and has caused plaintiff's downfall and deprived him of his constitutional rights. What? Yeah. That that boy needs Jesus, that's all. He just (laughs) needs to get on his knees and... and and, and pray to Jesus because that's, you know, the devil going to put stuff in your path. That's just <laughs> that's what he does. So the guy, so, and you would think this might be something that happened maybe back in the day during like colonial times when Satan was like a, a, a constant threat, you know, <laughs> but no. they're going to sue him. I love it. But this happened to, uh, this man was Gerard. No, sorry. Gerald Mayo who sued him in 1971. Okay. So it's a very so, recent action that he brought. Fairly recent, about 50, 60 years yeah. ago. Yeah, about 50 years ago. So he brought That's it funny. to the Western District of Pennsylvania, and it says the court rejected the suit for several reasons. Hmm. First of all, some bitch ain't going to show up. Well, that's, that's one of them. <laughs> yeah. Including the fact that plaintiff has failed to include in his complaint the required form of instructions for the United States Marshal to directions as to how to service of process. <laughs> Basically, this is what it says in the article. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. That's, That's funny. funny. How are you going to serve the devil? <laughs> this is what it says in the article. Basically, how in the hell could the court get in touch with Satan to let him know he's being sued? <laughs> and even if they could, and even if they could, it's not clear that he's bound by U.S. law. 
<laughs> oh, that is hilarious. Oh, man, that's funny. Yeah, so that I, I had to include that because that is just the most ridiculous damn thing I've heard in my that's life. That's fantastic. Yeah. That is too bad because, yeah, maybe next year we can find the whole story and do a whole story on this guy because that is freaking hilarious. Yeah. All right, what you, what you got for your next one, man? All right, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Pittsburgh Steelers, both teams I can't stand, <laughs> merged merged to form the Steagles for one season in 1943. I did not know this, and I actually used to watch football until they started all that protest crap, so I stopped. The teams merged because both lost so many players to military service during World War II. That makes sense. Steagles, that's a terrible, terrible name. They should Steagles. They probably should just gone with like Ehlers or something, not, not Steagles. Yep. That sounds like a that sounds like a or tiny just, beagle. Or just the Pennsylvania jerks or something. I yeah. don't know. The, the Pennsylvania I don't know. the leftovers. Hey, I have to yeah, I have to I just have to be that way. Cause uh I've just seen Eagle fans and they'll they they cheer at a hanging and Steeler fans, I can't stand them because I was an Oiler fan. So oh, I've never liked the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay. Gotcha. gotcha. So I was an Oiler fan. Yeah. So. Well, All right. the most haunted house in the country was once considered to be, uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, Congelier House on Ridge Street in Pittsburgh. I've never heard of that place. Me neither. So, And that as looks like- enthusiasts, we need to look that up. Maybe it needs to be on our radar, but, you know, We've only been, I've only been in this a little over 10 years, 11 years now, yeah, maybe 12. And I know you've been doing it since you were a youngster. Yeah. Uh, but there are so many places, so, so many places. We could probably literally ghost hunt for a living, you know, day in, day out, and yeah. probably never get to every place that's haunted. It but, would... <laughs> you know, it's like at this point with the uh, proliferation of, of ghost shows and stuff, you'd think at some point we would have, one of the shows would have gone to this house and we would have heard of it from somewhere, especially like ghost Avengers. They go everywhere, you know, unless they told them to shove it. So we don't, we don't care how much money you got. We don't want you in our house. Yeah. That has happened before. Yeah. Yes, it has because some, some people do not want it tainted by TV ghost shows because unfortunately a lot of TV ghost shows are full of crap. Embellish. They're full of crap. Full of crap. They embellish. They go overboard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I enjoy some of the other shows, but there are some that you can definitely tell are, you know, but we've, we've mentioned that a hundred damn times. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're fun for inter- entertainment value only. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into some uh, famous uh, Pennsylvanians. Absolutely. We have our boy, Jack Palance, who yes. I, I love that guy. I love Jack Palance. Gr- great actor. And he actually, uh, led a series for four years that I really love, Ripley's, believe it or not. Good series. Which, which my news today actually comes from the Ripley site, mm. so we'll get back to that later. Yeah, but yeah he's very cool. Huge um, movie and TV biography. I mean, the guy's he's done it all, man. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. And he's done, he's done and all I, kinds of movies from, like, comedies to, to action to, to everything, really. Yep, and his curly character from City Slickers is probably one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely loved him in, in Keaton. Uh, Keaton and uh, speaking of Keaton, he's coming pretty soon here. But uh, Keaton and uh, Burton's Batman—he was great in that. Yes, he yeah. was. You, are number one, <laughs> a guy. <laughs> got a little Who you Bob. Got? Okay, uh, my first guy is Kevin Bacon. Great, great actor, Kevin Bacon from just a million and one films. Some of my favorites include. Footloose and Tremors. 
Yes, very, very nice. Yeah. We have the very statuesque Miss Jane Mansfield, lovely, lovely actress who met her unfortunate end down in Louisiana in a yes. car accident. Yes, what a waste. I know. It's, it's that whole uh, live fast, die young, leave a beautiful corpse behind, you know? I suppose. Yes, yeah. sir. Well, my next guy actually has uh, was somebody I mentioned earlier. Michael Keaton is from Pennsylvania as well. Very cool. Yeah. I like him, too. His Mr. Mom. That oh, movie great. I was one of my favorites. I died laughing at that thing. And I also loved him in The Founder. If anybody's never seen The Founder, That's a great movie, yeah. About Ray Kroc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fantastic actor. Yeah, All Batman. The guy's top notch. Batman, Birdman, um, even his stupid Jack Frost movie was wasn't too bad. Um the the vulture from Spider Man, uh, and another one of my favorites, um, he was in that movie, uh, Johnny Dangerously. That's a great. I'd like a little trim on that mustache, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the Fresh Prince, the man himself. Dun-t. I'm a big fan of this guy. I yeah. like him. He's actually always been a very clean, very nice, uh, non-controversial celebrity character, Mr. Will Smith. Will Smith, yeah, I love Fresh Prince yep. of Bel Air and the Bad Boys movies. He, yep, they're great. You know, I mean, the guy is solid. I, I enjoy his stuff. And the Fresh Prince series when he was young, yeah, fantastic, man. I, I laughed some of the hardest I've ever laughed at that show. It oh, absolutely I know. hilarious. Absolutely. It's just too bad his kids suck. Anyway, uh, let's go on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my next one is good old Mr. Jeff Goldblum, Mr. The Fly, Mr. Jurassic Jeff, Park. Mr. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. The fast talking. That's that's smart. and and the the single the sing this guy is the most singular character of any guy I know in the acting business. The yeah. guy is Jeff Goldblum and no matter what he plays, even as the what was the guy from Thor Ragnarok? What's the oh, guy's yeah, the, name? Uh the the not the collector, he was the um I uh, Everybody knows who he yeah, was. He yeah, ran yeah. the planet, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yet, he's the same Jeff Goldblum that was in Independence Day. Right. That man, same, same from Jurassic Park. Same, same, but, yeah. But he's fantastic. He's great. I love Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. He he was actually also in uh, a bunch of shows, but uh, I remember mostly from, not mostly from, but one of my favorite roles was he was, uh, I can't think of the character's name, but he was one of the character's dads in um, The League. And he was absolutely hilarious ah. in, that, in that show. Yeah. <laughs> and then the greatest Star Wars movie of them all. Yes. It's actually my second favorite, but when it comes to Brown being made, it's just a double badass movie. Yeah. Direct director Irvin Kirshner, director of The Empire Strikes Back. Nice. Yes. Fantastic job. Yeah. I mean, good God, that movie was fantastic. I mean, especially because, and we're not going to get into another 20-minute long Star Wars nope. diatribe here, but especially because coming off of Star Wars, which was a big hit, and in the, the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and even up to the 90s, whenever somebody did a sequel, usually the sequel was just a retread of the first movie because they wanted to bank on the popularity of the, the first movie and what made it so good so they basically did a retread of the first movie with just slightly different circumstances, you know? Yes. Um, one, one of the ones that I point to the most often is Home Alone, Home Alone 2. It's the exact same movie, just from, <laughs> went from a home to an entire city of New York, but it's the exact same movie beat for beat, you know? 
G, just G, just a geographical change. You're exactly. right. Exact same scenario. Of course, I love the setup still. I mean, they were different traps and stuff, but it's the same thing. Exactly. Guys try to go in there. They get jacked up by all the traps. Right. But it's still hilarious. And, and, and they do that because they're, they're riding off the popularity of the first one, and, they, and they're, they don't want to take yeah. risks to make it too different. He, he took a risk. He made it totally different from the first one. It was darker. It, it, it actually you know, evolved the characters more, and it was just so good. And, and to end, it didn't even end on a happy ending. You know, it ended on <laughs> it ended on, on on Luke having to get his hand repaired, and then and then Han yep. being trapped with the uh, taken to Jabba. So, you know, and Han, you know, Han being my favorite character, that bugged the hell out of me. I said, "Oh hell no, this can't stand." Yeah, yeah, but that's you how know. he that's how he decided to end it, and, and it was it was fantastic, great, great. But at least it did a cliffhanger like a son of a bitch. Hell I mean, yeah. so that makes you that made you just crave the re, you know Return of the Jedi. You're Absolutely, like, bring it. I mean, because yeah. you already knew the title of the movie by that time, but it was another two years before they came out with it. And you're mm-hmm. like dying over the next 24 months saying, please, somebody give me something on Hurry, this movie. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Yeah, absolutely. Let me know what's happening. But, you know, but if you want to ruin a movie, you just go look at the credits. And he's starring. <laughs> yeah. Like, you see Harrison Ford. Hey, he's going to live. He's you know, alive. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my final guy, speaking of clean cut, my final guy is one of the most amazing persons to have ever humans ever have ever walked this planet. He was a, a, a believer in all things wonderful. And he has still have, haven't had any, any controversies attached to him years after his death, because he's that great of a person. Mr. Will you be my neighbor? Fred Rogers. One of the most you are, you are not joking, man. That guy is one of the most fantastic, beloved TV personalities of all time, if not the most. Yeah. What I mean, what a wonderful guy. I mean, I know he had like rumors circulating around that he was a Marine sniper and was tattooed and all this mess. I saw which that was all, shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's all debunked crap. Yeah. Uh, although, you know, and then the movie uh, Be My Neighbor with Hanks. Yeah. I think it's called Be My Neighbor, um, or Will You Be? I think that's what it was called. Um, I went and saw that, and I actually it actually brought back my childhood a lot, and it actually got to me a little bit. Yeah. I, I can admit it now. I'm getting older now, and I'm getting mushy sometimes. And I see movies that remind me of my younger days, and it and it and it tugs at you a little yeah. bit. But man, he did a wonderful job. He should have won the Oscar for that one. I mean, and if Mr. I'm being honest, Mr. Rogers, you know, went before Congress to to you know, plead to them and tell them how important uh, PBS type shows were to the, to yep. the public and, the, and to kids. Cause he, he believed in the programming that much. I mean, that's, that's balls right there. And yeah. if I recall, they got a huge federal uh, grant that, which actually saved PBS because yep. PBS was on the way out. It sure was. And yeah. they didn't, they didn't have the, they didn't have the resources to pull themselves out of the rut they were in. But once they recovered, exactly. they stayed strong and had been strong. So, yeah. yeah, that was one of our mainstays, man. Exactly. Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, and the Electric Company. Electric I watched company, them every day right. when I was a kid. Three, two, one contact, man. Don't forget that. Yep. And, yep uh, that's true. And there's a documentary that came out not too long ago about Mr. Rogers and the show and everything. And I only heard amazing things, but I always heard people say that it just brought them to tears because – for multiple reasons, whatever, because it brought the reminded them of childhood. It reminded them of, of how I don't want to say simpler things were, but like how 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 messed up the world is. I guess at that time yeah. and now, 
And I mean, granted, it's always been messed up. You know, you've had like the the gas crisis, the Cuban Missile Crisis. So it's been messed up. But like, yeah, I've heard that you watch that and you just break down in tears. And so I really want to watch it, but I just don't want to cry. But I I need to watch yep. it because I I love Mister well, Rogers. Well, because the world was much more innocent and much more kind-hearted back then, so people weren't at each other's throat as much. Uh, people weren't offended by everything under the sun. It's like this was just a much simpler time. Well, I, I, I wouldn't say uh, I wouldn't say that. I would say that social media didn't exist, so it wasn't in everybody's face all the time. Because that's I mean, true. M- Mister Rogers, you know, he was known for for having a uh, one of his characters who was a, a black mailman, you know, share a pool with him at a time when when blacks were not allowed to be in pools because they were segregated. So there was still yeah, civil rights this movement is going on. This so, is true. but the problem was that there was no so not the problem, but the thing was there was no social media, so it wasn't everybody's faces. So that's why people consider it like a more innocent time because you were able to detach yourself from that. If you didn't live in that, whereas now yeah. it's just bombarded all over you, you know, but yeah, if I could find a new way to communicate with all the friends that I have across the country without social media, I'd do it in a heartbeat. It's called using the force, James. <laughs> we have to develop our force sense. Hey, like Grogu? Like Grogu, that's right. No spoilers. That's right. That's hey. Grogu, yeah, that's not spoiler. Too people. bad. Now, the episode's already out. It's, it's, <laughs> it's already been out for two weeks. That, that I ain't blowing nothing for nobody. By or, the time they hear this, everybody will know. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. All right, buddy, and they we, don't know who he is anyway. That's true. I just said the name. They, they'll have to figure that out that's for themselves. That's a good point. We, we just said Grogu. We didn't mention who or what. So that's, that's a very good, good point. <laughs> Well, listen, well, actually, no, we said Grogu, then we said the Force. So he has something to do with Star Wars, but we'll leave it at that. Yes. Yeah. Why don't we go ahead and get into your weird news of the day? You bet, man. I got a good one today. Let's do it. Man, I love it. I'm over here banging on the drums, and Chris is directing the orchestra. This is perfect. <laughs> that, you know, I really do feel like that is your interpretation of the Superman theme right there. That is James' yes. version of it, because you can't take yes. it, because John William owns it, so you can't take the Superman theme, but that's yours right there. <sighs> yeah, I wish I could do the Superman theme, because if I could, I would. I know you would, man. All, all right. Well, as I mentioned earlier when we were talking about our famous peoples, My story comes from the Ripley's.com website again this week. All right. And this is kind of a creepy one, but in the spirit of Christmas. Christmas! (laughs) The story is dated December 7th of this year, of course, and is titled The Terrible Tale of Hans Tropp, the Christmas Scarecrow. This is... eh. (laughs) Let's get it. He became the dreaded Christmas scarecrow, adorned in straw as a disguise, waiting on lonely roads for victims. Mm. Yeah, Merry Christmas. <laughs> the, the holidays are seen as a time of peace, goodwill, and generosity. We gather with friends and family, share gifts, and eat huge decadent meals with all the trimmings. At the root of all these celebrations, however, is a very dark and grim past. <laughs> <laughs> 
Of course, we all know the legend of St. Nicholas. Santa Claus himself began with the tale of the Greek Bishop of Myrna, a Roman town in Turkey in the late 3rd to early 4th century. As one fantastical story goes, and yes, it's written as fantastical, Bishop Nicholas once oh, it was a bishop. I like that. That's my name. All right. Bishop Nicholas once discovered that an innkeeper had murdered three children and cut their bodies into pieces, and yet Nicholas was still able to revive them. Jeez. Hence his canonation. Oh, uh, okay. Gotcha. Wow. Along with the many good deeds of the zealous Christian in a time of heavy persecution, these tales cemented Nicholas's place as a saint, a protector of children, and a generous gift giver. If Santa Claus himself can revive the dead, though, wait until you meet the fearsome anti-Santa Hans Tropp, the Christmas scarecrow. <laughs> There's always got to be somebody on the other side. I love that name, Hans Tropp. That's great. Hans Tropp. It's probably trap, but I'm going to say trop. Of the Von Trops. <laughs> well, it's two P's, so I'm, ass- I'm assuming it's trop. Yeah, I think you're thinking it is I'm not going to say Hans Trap. Trap. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, don't Americanize it. No, I'm not going to do that. Who was Hans Trop? For as long as there's been a jolly old Saint Nick providing gifts for the well-behaved children, there has been someone or something else filling the role of his counterpart punishing the naughty ones. These fearsome figures range from the iconic horned Krampus to the perch, the perch style. I don't know how you, it's the shape-shifting Christmas witch who fills disobedient children's bellies with straw. Gee, crap. that's creepy. That is. The terrifying Hans Trop is possibly the worst of them all, though. One story in particular describes an instant in which he stabbed a child, sliced him into pieces, and cooked and ate his flesh. Merry Christmas. Gruesome. (laughs) The legend of Christmas Scarecrow is well known in the French regions of Alsace and Lorraine. Hans Tropp, according to the story, lived in the 1400s. A rich, powerful, and merciless man who who was feared by the people of Alsace. His thirst for power was so great that he turned to deals with the devil to enhance his power and status. Hearing of this, the Pope himself excommunicated Trop after he was banished from Alsace and his wealth and lands confiscated. Excellent. Nice. All of which, all of which is nothing compared to what came next. The Christmas Boogeyman, Ooh, Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga. Trop was reduced to constructing a makeshift home in the mountains of Bavaria in Germany, and the legend goes on. Here, he continued to brood, and his evil desires festered. He developed a hankering to try and taste human flesh. The hell for? <laughs> Finally, he became the dreaded Christmas scarecrow, adorned in straw as a disguise, and he waited on lonely roads for a victim. Mwahaha. Mwahaha. There you go. <laughs> Good one. A 10-year-old boy happened across his path one day, and Trop stabbed the unfortunate shepherd's boy with a vicious, sharp stick. The stick was vicious, or he was vicious. <laughs> That's how it's written. I don't know. With the, <laughs> with the body safely back at his lair, Trop sliced, sliced him into pieces and roasted him before he could eat. He was struck by a divine lightning bolt and killed. Nice. I like that. Yeah. 
They div- I, that's instant justice. Fantastic. I'm glad. Today, naughty children are warned that Hans Tropp's spirit lingers on and that he may visit them in his scarecrow disguise if they don't mind their ways. Oh, man. Oh, damn. A popular boogeyman and frightening tall tale. You may think, but nothing more than that. Sadly, though, we've got some bad news. The story seems to have been inspired by the incredible true story of a real person. Oh, shit. The man who inspired the legend, Hans von Trotho, was a knight who lived from 1450 to 1503. Only 53. Yeah. That's my age. Crap. He commanded two castles in Palatine, French-slash-German territory, but became embroiled in an argument with the church over the property in one of them. The abbot would not concede certain properties to von Trotha, so the embittered knight stopped the supply of water to the nearby town of Wassenberg. It's like, that's like some Yosemite Sam shit when he was damming up the river. <laughs> gotta bring, or was it Black Jack Shalak from gotta, Looney Tunes? Yeah, gotta bring Looney Tunes in this damn thing. I love it. Hey, got to. In retaliation, the abbot had the dam destroyed, which Bugs Bunny blew up the dam in the Looney Tunes cartoon, so that's funny. I'm wondering if that might be part of the inspiration. You never know. Interesting. Which flooded the, <laughs> which then flooded the villagers' homes and businesses. The dispute continued until, just as with Hans Tropp, the knight was summoned by the Pope himself and excommunicated. While there's no record of Von Trotha turning to cannibalism and hunting children while dressed as a scarecrow, what we know of Hans von Trotha's life is also extraordinary. Even the emperor's intervention wasn't enough to put a stop to the knight's battle with the abbot of Wassenberg Abbey, which is exactly why Pope Innocent VIII came into the picture in the first place. On his summoning to successor Alexander VI's papal court, von Trotha refused to attend. Instead, he sent a letter to the Pope, which expounded on von Trotha's faith while accusing the Pope of all manner of impure acts. Even excommunicated, the wily von Trotha did well for himself. Serving the French royal court, he was given the the Chevalier d'Or by King Louis XII. That's chalice of something. On his death, all charges against him were reversed and forgiven. Something of his notoriety lived on, though not only in Hans Trapp. Local legends also referred to him as the Black Knight. Oh, crap. Oh, cool. Chicken, chicken, come on. Local legends also refer to him as the Black Knight, a formidable specter that was also sometimes said to accompany Santa Claus and punish children who were unworthy of gifts. That is strange. That's creepy. The Black Knight, though. All I think of is Monty Python, Python, Holy Grail. (laughs) You yellow bastard, come back here and take what's coming to you. I'll bite your legs off. But that's it, brother. That's nice. the story. Uh, that's creepy. Filled with, Chris- filled with Christmas cheer. Lots of Christmas creepiness and killings and, and mutilations. Isn't that just a hey. wonderful, the most wonderful time of the year? Hey, nothing's better. Nothing, no weird news is better than true weird news. That's true. That's true. You know. I, I did like the part where, where when the Pope tried to, to call him, he, he basically sent them a letter saying, kiss my ass, you dirty, <laughs> you, you fornicator, you dirty motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> You papal douche. You papal Get out douche. of my face. Yeah, he's like, you You have no power over me, you dirty That's motherfucker. He, you, know, you know what he told the Pope? <laughs> he says, he told the Pope, you PKA motherfuckers, what he told him. 
Yeah, I did something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Uh, yeah. All right, man. But story, uh, man. like story. I said, let me turn the reins over to you, brother. All right, well, let's get into. So I actually haven't even mentioned what today's topic is. We are going to be covering a strange case of possible spontaneous human combustion in Pennsylvania. Yes, we haven't done any of that yet. We have not. So let's go ahead and get into that right now. Today we're going to be discussing the death of Dr. John Urban Bentley in Pennsylvania in 1966. Now, before we do that, though, I do want to go over a quick little uh, rundown of what spontaneous human combustion is for those who may not be familiar. Um, and uh, I have a few cases I want to go over real quick, too. They're just real simple ones. I won't take up much time. But spontaneous human combustion is a concept of the combustion of a living or recently deceased human body without an apparent external source of ignition. In addition to reported cases, descriptions of the alleged phenomenon appear in literature and both types have been observed to share common characteristics in terms of circumstances and the remains of the victim. This idea and the term spontaneous human combustion or SHC as we'll call it from this point on were both first proposed in 1746 by Paul Rowley in the article published in the Philosophical Transactions concerning the mysterious death of Countess Cornelia Zangari Bandy. Scientific investigations have attempted to analyze reported instances of SHC and have resulted in hypotheses regarding potential causes and mechanisms, including victim behavior and, and habits, including alcohol consumption and, and proximity to potential sources of ignition, as well as the behavior of fires that consume melted fats. Natural explanations, as well as unverified natural phenomenon, have been proposed to ex explain reports of SHC. Current scientific consensus is that most, perhaps all, cases of SHC involve overlooked external sources of ignition. Of course they do. They're just trying to just bring it's, us all down. You know, they can't give us anything. Yeah. I'll tell you right up front, one of my biggest theories is, is people who've made deals with the devil, Ooh. you know, and, and then they run out of time, they fail their task or something like that, because I have heard that a lot of these cases, these people just combust and they're sitting in a chair and the chair is undamaged, but their body is complete ash. Yeah. I'm sorry. If there was an external source, it would burn their freaking house down. That's a... Uh... I had not heard that before, but that's super cool. That needs to be like in a book or a comic or something. That's a cool theory. You need to keep that's a creepy theory. You need to copy, copyright that man. That's cool. Well, I just, like I said, I've just heard that on the wind. I just mm. thought I would throw that in there. It's, yeah. it's an opinion. I can't substantiate it at the moment, but I have heard that legend that's cool. that that was one of the possible causes of combustion is a failure. You know, make make a deal with the bad man and you fail and, and poof, you get caught up in, in that hellfire, man. 
are possible demons on earth that are expelled and just, you know, you never know. Yeah. You know, Constantine, he burned up. <laughs> it's a Good comic point. book, but Good you know point. what? The stuff's got to come from somewhere. That's right. And, and, you know, it always deals with like actual artifacts that existed in the world, like the spear destiny, you know? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, let's get into Please some uh, historical accounts real quick. So, we're going to start in uh, Italy in 1731 with the Countess uh, Bandi I mentioned earlier. Uh, in her 62nd year of her age, was all day as well as she was used to be, but at night was observed when at supper, dull and heavy. She retired, was put to bed, where she passed three hours and more familiar discourses with her maid and in some prayers. At last, falling asleep, the door was shut. In the morning, the maid, taking notice that her mistress did not wake at the usual hour, went into her bedchamber and called her. But not being answered, doubting of some ill accident, opened the window and saw the corpse of her mistress in this deplorable condition. And this hmm. is, this is and about their, they're going to describe it right here. Four feet distance from the bed, there were a heap of ashes, two legs untouched from the foot to the knee with her yep. stockings on. Between them was the lady's head, whose brains, half of the back part of the skull and the whole chin were burnt to ashes. Amongst wow. which were found three fingers blackened. All the rest was ashes, which had this particular quality that they left in the hand when taken up a greasy and stinking moisture. The air. Wow. Yeah. The, and, and that's actually another common uh, occurrence you'll hear in, in these uh, uh, other cases. The, uh, the greasiness of the um, ashes. The air in the room also observed cumbered with soot floating in it. A small oil lamp on the floor was covered with ashes, but no oil in it. Two candles and candlesticks upon a table stood upright. The cotton was left in both, but the tallow was gone and vanished. Huh. Somewhat of moisture was about the feet of the candlesticks. The bed received no damage. The blankets and sheets were raised on one side as when a person rises up from it or goes in. The whole furniture, as well as the bed, was spread over with moist and ash-colored suit, which had penetrated into the chest of drawers, even to foul the linens. Wow. Yeah. Nay, the suit was also gone into a neighboring kitchen and hung on the walls, movables, aid utensils of it. From the pantry, a piece of bread covered with that suit and brown-black was given to several dogs who all refused to eat it. They're like, hell no, I ain't that lady's ashes, you nasty people. No kidding. And how the hell did y'all get in there? I wonder. It, it, it's like it float, just floated just through walls and everything. Floated or was she walking around while she was disintegrating? I mean, geez, that's crazy. <laughs> she got up and walked. I mean, she kitchen. got up in bed, started doing, wandering around, maybe opened her drawer, left traces. I mean, maybe she the, was breaking down as we speak and then she couldn't get back to bed. Went to the it's kitchen to get some bread and, and couldn't poof. eat and yeah. In the room above, it was a moreover taken notice that from the lower part of the windows trickled down a greasy, loathsome yellow liquor, and thereabout they smelled a stink, without knowing of what, and saw the soot fly around. It was remarkable that the floor of the chamber was so thick smeared with a gluish moisture that it could not be taken off, and the stink spread more and more through other chambers. See, now that's weird. I wonder... I, I know it sounds horrible to say, but I mm-hmm. wonder what that smells like. Because I, unfortunately, I have smelled burnt flesh, and somebody's been severely burned. I, I know what that smells like. It's mm-hmm. not pleasant. Uh, 
And I just wonder what that combustion smell is like, like if it's actual flame or if it's a chemical reaction. I've always been very fascinated with this whole thing. Yeah, it's nuts, man. I wonder if like someone who works at a crematorium would know what that smell is like. Because I mean, it's got to maybe be, so. It's got to be that hot to to burn the body to ash, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. To to incinerate like that, but yet not take anything with it. Yeah, you're not burning the floor. You're not burning the bed. So it's maybe it's just a high intense heat chemical reaction like acid or just something poof it's like you know because the human body is a strange strange thing you know oh, lots of wonders you we know got so. all kinds of weird stuff going on inside our, our meat yeah. sacks yep. so now we're gonna move to 1951 july 2nd 1951 mary reeser a 67 year old woman who was found burned to death in her house after her landlord landlady i should say realized that her house's doorknob was unusually warm the landlady notified that police and upon entering the home they found Reesers remained completely burned into ash with only one leg remaining. That's another another thing you'll see in a lot of these is there's always at least one leg remaining yeah. from, from like the shin down. Completely undamaged. Mm-hmm. The chair she was you know, sitting in was also destroyed. During the investigation, detectives found that Reesers' temperature was around 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. Which, so the chair, and in this case, the chair was damaged. In this case, it was, yeah. Okay, because I've heard cases where the chairs are completely undamaged. There's just a pile of ash sitting on a piece of furniture, right? And the front and the chair itself didn't get it. So yeah. I stand somewhat corrected. But yeah, there's, there's other cases, <laughs> and, and a lot of them also take place in like beds or chairs. So at some point, there was a chair that wasn't damaged. I'm sure. Yeah. Yep. Which puzzled the investigators, as almost everything else in the room in which Reeser was found remained intact. Reeser took sleeping pills and was also a smoker. A common theory was that she was smoking a cigarette after taking the pills and then fell asleep while still holding the burning cigarette, which could have ignited her gown, ultimately leading to her death. Investigators also found that the fire had burned a socket, which stopped a clock at 2.26 a.m., suggesting that Reeser had died around that time. Huh. Yeah. That is strange. Now, see, I'll, I'll disagree with that. No way a cigarette. It may even torch the chair. Big deal. Or maybe she died and she had her cigarette in her hand and that's what burned up the chair. No. You know, unfortunately you can't tell which is which. No. But the thing is, she if she was sitting there smoking and then the chair actually caught on fire, say she did fall asleep and the right. chair actually burned her, even a chair wouldn't burn long enough to burn a body to complete ash including the bone, you know, and stuff like that, leaving just one leg undamaged, you know? Yeah. And sorry. I just can't buy that. There've been plenty of cases of people falling asleep with cigarettes, like in beds and the whole mattress yeah. goes up in flame, you know? Yep. They yeah. get burned, but it doesn't burn them to, to ash. you know, to a pile of ash. No, yeah. cause it doesn't last long enough for one thing. And the fire is not hot enough. I right. mean, it, yeah, it kills them. Yeah. Unfortunately, but yeah, go for it, bud. Uh, Margaret Hogan, an 89-year-old widow who lived alone in a house on Prussia Street in Dublin, Ireland, was found burned almost to the point of complete destruction on 28th of March, 1970. Plastic flowers on a table in the center of the room had also been reduced to liquid, and a television with a melted screen sat 12 feet from the armchair in which the ashen remains were found. Otherwise, the surroundings were almost untouched. Her two feet and both legs from below the knees were undamaged. A small, Weird. Yeah, it's always the feet. A, yeah. A, uh. a small coal fire had been burning in the gate when a neighbor left the house the previous day. However, no connection between this fire and that in which Mrs. Hogan died could be found. An inquest held on the 3rd of April, 1970, recorded death by burning with the cause of the fire listed as unknown. See, now, 
people may or may not believe this. I do because, you know, church goer. I don't mean I don't go now, but mm-hmm. I should. But the heart is where the soul is. I've always believed that. That's where right. your soul is. Okay. You know, so if your soul is ripped from your body by some force and you're put to, you know, this going back to my other theory. Yeah. You know, then naturally it's like a flash of heat. You know, it doesn't even say how long the fires last. I guess nobody no, knows. Nobody knows. Really. But I mean, but it melted flowers from a little ways away and it melted, it messed up a TV, but it didn't touch anything else. Right. That's just, that's, that's just weird, that's man. That's another weird thing about some of these. Cause some of these, uh, end up in like, happen in like apartment buildings. And so like nobody, nobody smells or, or notices a fire or smoke or anything. So, you know, the, 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 there's no, there, there's a rough estimate of when the person may have died, but like there's a good 12 hours between they were last seen and when they're found, you know, yeah. and well, the fire is, is, is in between that, that point is when it, when it happens, but nobody, nobody reports it. I'm t- it's purely it's purely supernatural thing. There's nothing normal about this at all. And like I said, if their soul is ripped from their body by something evil or God knows what, you know, you, you just don't know. And then it's just that flash and it just torches the top half of the body. Maybe that's why the legs are always untouched. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's a, just a weird it's a theory, theory, but yeah, it's, it's, but you, any, any Somebody theory, else explain it. You know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you tell me what it is, fuckers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Henry Thomas, a 73-year-old man, was found burned to death in the living room of his council house in the Rosal estate in Ebbwavale, South Wales, in 1980. I probably butchered that, but I don't care. His entire body was incinerated, leaving only his skull and a portion of each leg below the knee. Again. The feet, Again. The feet and legs were still clothed in socks and trousers. Half of the chair in which he had been sitting was also destroyed. Police forensic officers decided that the incineration of Thomas was due to the wick effect. And we'll get into that here in a bit. And then we got, uh, we got a couple more and then we'll get into Mr. Bentley. So September 15th, 1982, 61-year-old Janine Safin was sitting at her table with her 82-year-old father about to eat dinner when she suddenly burst into flames. Her father oh, said, yeah, this one has a witness. So that, that's, that's a cool. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Her father said the flames came from her hands and her face and shot out of her mouth. He tried to extinguish the flames by dousing her with water from the kitchen sink and was eventually successful at putting the fire out. They were both rushed to the hospital with severe burns, but Jeannie would die from her injuries eight days later. Investigators found no solid evidence to point out how Jeannie suddenly burst into flames that fateful day. The room itself did not show any signs of burnings or charring. In fact, nothing else around Jeannie burnt during her episode. Holy shit. Yeah, that's, that's one of the rare occasions when there's a witness to just, and, and there's one other uh, case, I can't think of the, the details, but someone saw someone nearby uh, shirt just start to burst in the flames at the top, but they were able to put it out safely, but it just, just out of nowhere, just started, poof, went yeah, into flames. Like, yeah. So, I'm still thinking supernatural stuff, man, because to. it's just weird, unless it's some weird genetic fake. But you'd think by now they would have figured that out. If there's some kind of chemical imbalance or something that causes this, yeah. there would be some common factor amongst these victims and they'd come up with it, but they still haven't come up with any explanation for why this happens to people. Yeah. And there's like three or four, maybe I think there are like four or five different explanations as to what this, what this is. And we'll get into those here in a bit. Um, one of them being of course, natural phenomenon, which yeah, maybe yes, no, maybe so. Who knows? We'll see. In December 2010, the death of Michael Faherty, a 76-year-old man in County Galway, Ireland, was recorded as spontaneous combustion by the coroner. 
The doctor, Karen McLaughlin, made the statement at the inquiry into the death. The fire was thoroughly investigated, and I'm left with the conclusion that this fits into the category of spontaneous human combustion, for which there is no adequate explanation. Yay, Doc. <laughs> Finally, a doctor on our somebody, side. Somebody put it on our side. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, let's get into the main uh, topic, uh, Mister Doctor. Or sorry, not Mister Doctor John Irving Bentley. So, Doctor Bentley was found burned to death in his bathroom sometime between the fourth and fifth of December in 1966. The 92-year-old doctor was last seen alive at his home in Cowdersport, Pennsylvania, on December fourth, 1966 just before 9 p.m. He had been entertaining friends up to that point, and that's when they left. Dr. John Irving Bentley, who was known as J. Irving, lived a normal life, and had it not been for his manner of death, he would have probably been forgotten by all but his own descendants. He was a family doctor who served the region from 1925 to 1953. The next morning, his body was found by a meter reader from North Penn Gas Company named Don Gosnell, he entered the home of Bentley as part of his morning rounds, which he was apt to do, and made his way to the basement at around 9 a.m. when he noticed a hole in the ceiling above him. Small embers still burned from the floor upstairs. Wow. When Gosnell attempted to locate Bentley, he stumbled upon Bentley's charred remains in the bathroom on the second floor. Gosnell described a bluish smoke and a sickly sweet odor around the scene. Now, see, now that's what I've heard about the normal smell of a burning human body, a okay. sickening, a sweet odor. Now, it's, you know, I've, I haven't ever been around a completely charred corpse, mm-hmm. you know, uh, corpse or anything like that, but I have smelled flesh that is burned, and there's really nothing that sweet about it. It smells pretty, uh, pretty sickly. It's actually very, it's, it's actually a, a real strong stench. Gross. Ugh. Yeah, I just I can't even imagine having to smell that. And then it's one of those Yeesh. one of those smells I'm sure will will come back later on. That you'll just you're just one of those like what do you call it? Uh, smells you just keep in your in your nose. Yeah. Just, every so often it just it pops up and you're like I know that smell and then you just can't get it out of your head. All that remained of the doctor, which was identifiable, was his browned lower right leg with the slipper still attached and his walker. Again, the leg. Oh wow. The rest of Bentley had burned completely to ash, some of which had fallen through the hole to the floor below. Bentley's robe, partially burned, sat in the bathtub, and the walker lay across the hole in the floor. Strangely, though the fire that reduced Bentley to ashes had been hot enough to burn a hole in the floor, the rubber tips of his walker remained intact. Strange. And you know rubber that burns just fast. so weird. It's almost like a... F- it's- if I didn't know better, it was almost like a, <laughs> this is going to sound stupid, what? but like an alien heat ray, you know, just, <laughs> just burn you into ash, you know, and then leave, you know, just, just in a flash. It's funny. So that surrounding areas, you know, it, it's, that's, man, this is fascinating. It's funny you bring I'm, that up. I'm digging that, this. that is one of the, uh, um, suggested, uh, reasons for it too. So, well, that's funny you bring that up. Oh, yeah. Okay. According to cremation experts, it takes two to two and a half hours between 1,400 and 1,800 degrees to burn a human body to ash. If his body burned at this temperature, then his wooden house should have been engulfed in flames as well. Absolutely. Gosnell called on the fire department, Deputy Coroner John Deck and Mortician Dick Lindholm, 
who found no cause for the fire nor a definitive answer as to why only Bentley and the hole in the food in the floor burned. Now, John Deck speculated that Bentley, a frequent pipe smoker, ignited himself after falling asleep while smoking. The evidence of this was present in the bathroom as well as the hall leading up to the hallway, but the technology of 1960s was not sufficient to recreate exactly what happened at the scene of the fire. So, what exactly happened to John Bentley? Well, let's go through some of the things. I have a feeling you're going to tell me. <laughs> you, you are clairvoyant, sir. Yes, sir. So, let's examine a few of the yes. theories that have been put forth. First is the spontaneous human combustion theory. Something within the doctor caused him to catch fire and burn up. The theory is favored heavily upon by many due to the fire that consumed him was confined only to his bathroom and only seemed to have affected the doctor and the floor immediately under him. Those who have studied the phenomenon of SHC state that this is common among those who are believed to be victims of it. Comparing it to a number of possible cases of SHC, Dr. Bentley's death does seem to fit into a pattern of strange death by fire cases. In cases of SHC, such as Dr. Bentley, the area around the deceased is barely affected. The fire that consumed the doctor neither darkened the tub beside the remains nor melted the rubber tips of his walker, which lay nearby. The theory of falling ashes. This theory states the doctor was a victim of his smoking because Dr. Bentley was known to have smoked a pipe. The belief is that the ash fell from his pipe ignited his robe, setting him on fire. He attempted to get to the bathroom to put it out, but fell and was burned to death while he lay on the floor. Never happened. Sorry, that's bullshit. Doctor, uh, doctor, uh, Deputy Coroner John Deck, in his official report, states that this was the official cause of death. Dr. Bentley accidentally set himself on fire due to ashes falling on his robe. A robe wouldn't burn long enough to burn your skin off your bones, much less burn you to ashes. I'm yeah. sorry. And, and a hole in the floor. And a human body is just not like, like flammable. It has to have an external source. It's not like you can just take a match to your skin and all of a sudden, woof, you know. Fire, no, right. it's not going to happen. Yeah. Sorry. That one's out the window. That's bullshit. That's just somebody lazy didn't want to really look into it. All right. Let's go with the lightning theory then. This theory states that Dr. Bentley was either struck by lightning or was hit by a ball lightning. While in the bathroom that evening, the doctor was hit by either a stray bolt of lightning or a ball of lightning that came through the window, which ball lightning is an actual occurrence. It's, it's a very, yes, it is. very freaky that thing. That is true. The weather in Cotter Sport was described as freezing and no mention of storms was found in the area at the time of Dr. Bentley's death. So that one's kind of le- le- less than reputable. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, you would have an entry and an exit point, and I have heard of lightning blowing off limbs of people that is struck, yeah, mm-hmm. but never turning somebody to a pile of ash right. or igniting them on fire. That's, I mean, yeah, they might burn a little bit, yeah, but it's so fast. That's a you know, that that's cartoony right there. That's what you see in a cartoon yeah. when they get hit by lightning, they turn to ashes. That's not real life. No, it's not. Uh, methane. This theory states that SHC is caused by a buildup of methane in the stomach and intestines. When the amount of methane gets to a critical level, it reacts the enzymes and explodes, setting the person on fire. The only thing against this theory is, why doesn't this happen in cows who produce more methane than humans? You never hear about spontaneous cow combustions, SCC. No, you don't. You don't. You sure don't. But that goes more along with my possible chemical reaction theory right. within the body. But... Mm-hmm. I digress. Go. <laughs> and let's go with another one. Aliens. I, I'm going with aliens. You're going with aliens? It's either aliens, it's either aliens or Bigfoot did it's, it. I mean. Bigfoot did it. That bastard. That pyromaniac <laughs> bastard. <laughs> 
Uh, early December of 1966, there were a number of reports from the region concerning UFO sightings. We'll have to look into that some other time. Yes, Supposedly, we will. Supposedly, Dr. Bentley was a victim of either one, an alien experiment gone wrong, or was <laughs> shot and killed by an alien weapon, which is what you proposed earlier. So, good job. I'm going to give you a... Hey, hey. I, that that job, works James. for me. You I'll take it. it. You called it. All right, well, let's get into what is widely known as probably the most believable uh, theory of his death, the Wick effect. So forensic analysts and fans of this case have created a theory that they say can fully explain Bentley's death. It seems that the good doctor fell prey to a very unfortunate set of circumstances in his two-story home. At the time of his death, Bentley had been in bed wearing his flannel shirt and robe. But Bentley was known to fall asleep while smoking frequently and according to his friends and neighbors, his robe and some of his clothes even had burn marks on it to prove it. Late December 4th or early December 5th, Bentley likely woke to find himself on fire after falling asleep with his tobacco pipe. Burnt pieces of flannel shirt in his bedroom and hallway support this. The hmm. flannel likely acted as sort of a kindling, allowing the fire to burn slowly as Bentley foolishly made his way to the bathroom. The broken remains of a glass water pitcher found in the toilet show that he did try to put himself out. <laughs> this poor guy. I know, poor guy. I don't poor mean guy. to laugh at him dying, but it's yeah, very comical. Guess, it's yeah. Trying to drown, trying to put himself out with toilet water. Yeah. Bless his heart. Bentley was known to have kept matches in his pockets. So once the fire once the small fire reached the matches, he would have erupted into small flames enough to begin the process of melting his fat. Now, I couldn't find anything as far as like what his weight was or what his body fat uh, content was, but I imagine most 92-year-olds are not that large. They're they're rather yeah. rather skinny, um, and so I don't think he ha- would have had too much fat, but I, I digress. This is also around when the fire would hit the floor as Bentley fell due to his injury, where the, the flammable linoleum flooring easily ignited. The wooden floorboards and wooden beams underneath would also easily catch fire, creating the hole in the floor. The cool air from the basement could then flow up, creating what's known as a chimney effect, where the fire would then stay in that exact place and burn bigger and hotter, easily consuming Bentley's body. After the Screw body, that. I'm going. I'm still going with the ray gun. <laughs> with the ray gun, <laughs> are, you, are you saying it was Marvin Martian? I think it was Marvin. He got him, bastard. After the body turned to ash, there would be no more adequate fuel for the fuel. <clears throat> After the body turned to ash, there would be no more adequate fuel for the fire, uh, Bentley's body fat and clothes, and so the fire would burn down as linoleum doesn't burn for long without extra sources of fuel. They say this explains why there were small embers on the wood when Gosnell arrived and discovered Bentley's remains. So basically, he burned his his, his robe cut his stuff caught on fire. He had matches in his pocket. I mean, it, it's like a it's like a bad comedy movie. He's caught on fire. He had yeah. matches in his pocket. He, he couldn't get the, ho- the toilet water out fast enough, which I don't know why he didn't use a tub or the sink. I mean, he could use a sink. It's higher up than the toilet. If he has to bend down for the toilet, that makes no sense. Turn on the damn shower and get yeah. in. Hello. But then he fell down, and while he sat there, while he fell down and couldn't get up, I've fallen and I can't get up, the fire just continued to burn him to the point where it burned a hole through the linoleum, the wood floorboards, and the wood beams, and then the cold air from the chimney sat at that hole and refused to let the fire go out and basically made a little campsite out of his body and just burned until there was nothing left to burn. That that seems like a stretch to me, man. 
that shit stretch and snap. Yeah, forget that one. I'm throwing that out the window. That they, they, they are they are stretching further than freaking Mister Fantastic on that bad boy. Yeah, I, I ain't no forensic genius, but yeah, I'm sorry. The sources of you know the flammable sources that he had around him were nowhere near enough. You could fall in a campfire and burn for hours, and you'll still have most of your body intact. Yes, you'll be a charred mess, mm-hmm. but you will not be a pile of ash. Right, right. And that's a much larger source. Sorry, ain't buying it. Bullshit. So, so while this theory, they say, seems to solve the death of the good doctor, believers in SHC still maintain his death is anything but solved. And that is the story of Dr. John Irving Bentley and spontaneous human combustion. Yes, and the secret alien laser <laughs> gun theory. <laughs> Marvin the I'm Martian. digging it, man. That's a great story. That's that's a great topic, man, because I know we haven't covered this one yet. But it's it's strange happenings, you know, go spontaneous human combustion is probably one of the most odd phenomenon out there, period. Yeah. And it's scary with, 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 you know, the first word in, in its uh, title, spontaneous. It can happen anytime, yeah. any person. It's scary as hell. Yes, it is. You know, I, I, I kind of like that idea of the alien shooting a weapon at him and hitting him and Marvin Martian killing him by accident, you know. Oops. I can know? dig it, but the alien would have to be in the house because if he shot him from, like, hovering from a UFO, there would have been a hole in the roof, too, the, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, so there's an alien in the house. He's like, where's my kaboom, you know. But, Unless uh, it was a microwave weapon. Ah, look at you getting even more conspiratorial hey, up in this. Man. Yeah. Yeah, hey, that's, that's a, that was we've a, got the We've got microwave weapons. We can cook people inside their houses. We sure do, but we can't. We still can't cook a damn good baked potato. That's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. All right, but why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find us if they want to and uh, all that good stuff. Absolutely. I will be glad to do that, sir. You can find us. Uh, I will go ahead and put this out there again. I know you guys know where we're at. We are on the fourthhand.com network along with our sister project, What the Suck. We are also on Instagram. We are on Twitter. And we are still on the big evil Facebook. Yep. You know, can it get around the social media? You got to get the word out. It's the only way you can get it done these days. That's right. Uh, I do wish to thank you all very much. Our following has really sprouted. We've hit all, we're all, we're almost at 800 on Instagram and nice. we've passed 1400 on Twitter. Yeah. And I mean, we're growing constantly. So thank you guys. We appreciate you listening. That's right. Uh, and like I say, it's good to be back. We're going to roll with it and get a few episodes in here before Chris comes down with the black plague and dies on me. <laughs> well, you know, before that happens, we'll figure you out know, uh, uh, send the story ideas. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, or, or you might, you know, we're going to make sure you don't spontaneously. <laughs> <combust. human laughs> Damn. Gonna... All I see. Next week you call in and you're nothing but a pair of headphones sitting like, there. I look like, I look like uh, uh, the Human Torch. That's it. I'm just flaming. Yeah. Everywhere. If I if I ever go if I ever go up, there's enough mass here, man. I I go off like an A bomb. Oh my gosh, man! <laughs> that thing will burn. you'll burn forever, dude. <laughs> yeah, but uh, send us story ideas. You know, if you, if you want to hear a topic, uh, or just you know, just uh, if you see anything cool, um, send it to us on the Facebook page or Instagram or Twitter. Uh, you know, and then hit us up if you have a. Uh, any personal encounters you want to share with us, do it. Uh, send it to us at state of fear podcast at gmail.com. We are still looking for indie bands to uh, play a song at the yes. end of our episode. So if you, if you would like to uh, honor us by having us play a song of yours at the end of one of our episodes and represent your particular state and your band, uh, just email us at state of fear podcast at gmail.com. And we can get uh, going with that. We'd love to hear y'all's music and your personal stories. So send that in. 
And one more time, yeah, we still have several of our wonderful 1996 Collector's X-Files X collector postcards. That's right. That we are trying to give away. All you got to do is give us a review, take a screenshot, send it to the aforementioned State of Fear podcast at gmail.com, and we'll get it out to you immediately. Absolutely. It costs nothing, and we'll be glad to get it. And these things right. are rare, man. These yeah. things ain't just floating around out there. And we still have a Patreon. Go to patreon.com backslash State of Fear and check out all of our bonus content. We've got bloopers. We've got ad-free episodes. Go check that out. It's super cheap, $1, 5 and $10. You can't go wrong with that. You cannot. Also, don't forget to stay tuned pretty soon here at the end of the episode for the personal encounter uh, from Emily at Drink Drunk Dead. It's it's said to be a good one, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. If it's Emily, it's bound to be good. That's right. All right, bud. Well, I'm ready to get out of this date and move on to the next. How about yourself? Yes, sir. What do you say we get on down the road? Let's do it, guys. And we'll see y'all at the next date. Take care, y'all. Hi, my name is Emily, and I am the host of Drink Drunk Dead. I have a story for you about a possible poltergeist haunting out of Erie, Pennsylvania. About 15 years ago, my fiance at the time, our good friend, and I were living in an apartment. It was the first floor of a turn of the 20th century house that had been converted into two apartments. So we had the bottom floor. And we absolutely loved this place. It was beautiful. It was really perfect for three young 20-somethings that were really doing nothing special with their lives. Almost as soon as we moved in, we started to have some unusual things that would happen. Right off the bat, we started to have things that would go missing and they would be missing for several days and then they would reappear in a spot that was, for lack of a better word, it's, it was really obvious. It would be sitting on a table that had been clean and we walked by every day. There's no way that it had been sitting there for several days and then suddenly it, and we had missed it, but suddenly it would pop up. So we would have things disappear and then reappear. We also had interesting phantom smells. The most common phantom smell that we had was the smell of pipe smoke. Now, my dad was a big pipe smoker when I was a kid, so I'm really familiar with that smell. It's sweet, it's warm, it's comforting, and that smell would absolutely just envelop our whole living room. You knew that smell right off the bat. And it would linger, kind of like somebody was just sitting there on the end of the couch having a smoke with you. And for a while, that was pretty much all we had. Some phantom smells, some things that went missing and would reappear, the occasional unusual sound that we couldn't quite place. But then we started to have what we knew as the mimic. Our apartment had two front doors. It had an exterior front door, a tiny little entryway, and then an interior front door that led onto some linoleum tile, kind of like a mudroom that wasn't enclosed. And this was, it's an apartment, so it's, it's small, it's right next to our living room. What would start to happen is that we would hear the doors, both of the doors, open and close, and then it would sound like somebody was stomping off boots in that little entryway. And it was a really distinct sound. It's very loud, you know the sound of boots that are stomping, and it's, I mean, it's a one-floor apartment with three rooms. It, you, you weren't very far from the the origin of the sound. And this would happen even in the dead of summer. It would sound like somebody was walking in through that front door, stomping snow off of their boots. Erie, Pennsylvania is known for its mass amounts of snow, but we definitely don't get snow in the middle of July, at least not recently. 
And this would occur over and over and over. We had many people that would come and visit that would hear that stomping that would think that we had other visitors coming over and then go to check the door and there's nobody there. After a while, the boot sound started to be accompanied by a voice. It would say, hello, or I'm home, or a combination of the two. And often it would happen when there were only one or two of us home at the time. But it sounded, the voice of it sounded like our roommate. And he himself actually heard this mimic. He heard the voices and he identified that as himself. He said, it sounds like I'm walking through the door talking to myself. Really weird. Definitely had us a little unnerved, but it wasn't, it didn't seem malicious. It was just unusual. So nothing really spooked us for quite a while until one day when I was home alone and something really unusual and pretty drastic happened. And this is what makes me think that perhaps it was a poltergeist. Now, like I said, we lived on the first floor apartment and we had access to the basement. In the basement, we had one of those old school Bowflexes because, you know, I was trying to get super fit. Never really happened, but I tried. The Bowflex was sitting directly underneath of our kitchen and the kitchen had a tile floor. So one day I'm home alone. I'm down in the basement in the middle of the afternoon trying to get a workout in and I start to hear what sounds like high-heeled shoes walking around on that tile floor in the kitchen above me. And it was a really, really sharp, obvious sound of footstep after footstep after footstep, just like a casual stroll through my kitchen. Thinking this is pretty odd because, you know, I'm home alone, so there really shouldn't be anybody up there with high heels. I went up to check. Maybe it was my mom that had stopped by, popped in to say hello, didn't feel like shouting out or calling first. Maybe a little weird. Got all the way upstairs. There's nobody there. Definitely weirded out now, but thinking perhaps it was my upstairs neighbors that were thumping around. I said, okay, whatever. And I went back down and I tried to pick up where I left off and I started working out again. As I'm getting into it, I hear those high-heeled shoes again. And it's that really distinct, crisp sound of heels on that tile. And now I'm starting to feel like I'm losing my mind because I know realistically that if it had been my upstairs neighbors, it would have sounded more like elephant footfalls. Those people were loud. They had an, a, a, an apartment that was entirely carpeted. They were not graceful. So it didn't make sense for them to be walking around in high heels. And it didn't make sense for it to sound like it was coming from right over my head. Starting to get spooked, I went upstairs to go check again and figure out what this sound was coming from. And as I walk through the basement door into my kitchen, I see that all of my kitchen drawers, all of my kitchen cabinet doors, all of them are open. Even my refrigerator doors, both of them, the freezer, the fridge door. And I was spooked. I was really scared. So I start making my way through the apartment to go reach my landline because, you know, 15 years ago, landlines were still a thing and I didn't have a cell phone because I wasn't cool enough. So I'm going through my apartment quickly trying to find my landline and call somebody for help when I realized that all of the interior doors, it wasn't just in the kitchen, it was the bathroom doors, the closet doors, the front entry doors were all wide open. And I was seriously freaked. So I grabbed that phone, 
I ran outside. I sat in my backyard in tears and I called up my fiance and made him come home from work. I just, I couldn't be there alone. It spooked me too badly. Now, this is the only time that we ever had anything like that happen, anything that extreme, but it was definitely the thing that made me think perhaps it wasn't just a mimic or residual haunting that maybe we had a poltergeist. Ultimately, whatever it was seemed to be attached to that house, to that apartment, because when we moved, we never really had anything quite like that happen again. We've had other things happen that we think might have been attached to some family heirlooms, but definitely nothing quite so drastic as all the doors being open and just the kinds of sounds and the mimic. The mimic was definitely stuck at that apartment. So thankfully, we left it behind and hopefully whoever moved in after us didn't have quite as many problems as we did. And that's my story. Thanks for listening. 